We've been looking for a number of weeks now at the series of going from clean to pure. Anybody can identify with that? When God takes a life from, from just being clean into purity, God has to go through all the channels of our lives. <laughs> he has to go through all the channels of our lives. He has to go into our hearts, our heads, our pockets, our feet, our thinking. God invades every area of our life. If he's going to take us from clean to pure, why we're clean? Because in John 15, sorry, 17, I think it was, Jesus said to his disciples, you are already, you are already clean because of the word that I gave you. So there was a place when we start off in our faith with Jesus Christ, he says, you're clean. Now, to move you into purity is a journey. It's an ongoing journey of going from clean to pure. And we've looked at many, many areas over the, these weeks. And we, I have to say, we are seeing some tremendous results. People are beginning to acknowledge that they've got skeletons in the cupboard. Yeah? Now, if you say yes right now, you're admitting you've got one. But, do you know, I like what Phil said about the skeletons in the cupboard. And I didn't get it quite the way he said it, but I like what he said. You know, the way, the way I wrote it down here was the cupboard and the grave is not much different. Depends which way you turn it. That's right. A skeleton in the cupboard is still an upright coffin. And the difference is, is it's still death and it's still in darkness. And a skeleton will bury you. It will bury you. The longer you keep things in your heart and you will not let the light in, it will kill you eventually. And we've all got fears and we've all got sin in our life that we didn't want, we don't want to expose. And we just think, well, God, you know it's there. I know it's there, but let's not go there. Yeah? God says, no, 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 no. In over this period of time, we've been talking about clean and pure. That's exactly what I'm going for. But Lord, Lord, I don't want you to. He says, I know what you don't want. I said, but you must understand what I am after. So we've been seeing this. And last week, we heard a very, very uh, passionate plea how two people have gone from clean to pure, albeit through restoration and remaining in the vine, according to John chapter 15. And open transparency and, and accountability is something that many people don't have in life. But... To build an environment and to build trust where open transparency and accountability doesn't mean say you stand up here on a Sunday and share everything. We're finding rooms, we're finding avenues, we're finding people. But as long as we are willingly finding those people so we can get the skeleton out of the cupboard, that's the most important thing. Now, last week, obviously, it was, it was different. But there'll be other times when you'll just talk to one person. And, the, and you'll talk about things and they'll help you get the skeleton out of the cupboard. Either way, the skeleton is still in the dark place. And I like what Paul said last week, that you can't deal with the dark in the dark. You have to deal with darkness by bringing it into the light. Only light can deal with darkness. And now you see, for those who are not saved and born again, the Bible says you're already in darkness. That's why the light of the gospel has to be preached to you so you can see you're on the other side. 
And unless the Holy Spirit sees that. See, I talk to this lady every morning when I go for my coffee in the patisserie around the corner. She's called Katie. Now, Katie, I, I like to, I'm loving what God's doing with Katie. Katie's being messed up by the Holy Spirit. Because every time I come in, she's asking me a thousand questions. Now, I said to Katie the other day, Katie, can I ask you this question? She said, what? I said, are you a mere seeker or are you just interested? I said, because he said, answering one of those questions will determine whether the truth will be revealed. Well, how do you know that this God's real? I said, are you seeking him or are you just interested in him? So I'm hoping that she'll walk through the door one day. Now, a boss in the shop says, you know what? I'm going to bring her one day just to shut her up. So she says, and I thought, great, two for the price of one. That's great. But I can see the way the Holy Spirit has been resting on Katie, and she keeps asking me questions every time I go in. She doesn't realize yet that this, there is a God who you can have a relationship with. But she's inquisitive. And there's a lot of people out there who are inquisitive. But today we're going to look at a part of our clean to pure. We're going to look at pure doctrine. And this is quite ironic, because when I share with you what I'm going to share now, you'll think, okay, in order to know the God that you say you know, you need to know what he says. And you need to know why he says what he says. Because God isn't just a God, God's a God of his word. You can take his word to the bank. He is the one that was in the beginning, and he's the one that will be at the end. And he says, heaven and earth will all pass away, Right? But my word will never pass away. Now, you could say, well, if heaven and earth is going to pass away, where will we be? We'll be with him. He is the word. The word is a person. See, right now, you're looking at me, Tony, I'm a person. But right now, you can hear words. Word is in me. But with Jesus Christ, he's made up of word. He is word. Amen? And his word does what he says it can do. Now, when you know a God who can do what he says he can do, that gives you a lot of power. And when you understand and work within the parameters of what he says he can do, it gives you power. Amen? And if you know the one who will trust you to use his word, it gives you power. So we can't lose on whichever way we look at it. But we must know him. And we must know his word. So in this whole thing of pure doctrine and uh, and why we must have pure uncontaminated doctrine because it's the reason why we must have it is because it's so easy to get the opposite a lot of what goes on in church is not actually God you know that and you can take any denomination anywhere a lot of behavior that we see in church is not necessarily God bells smells incense and nonsense is not God that's man's way of putting barriers in front of man so that the man at the end, the man who's put the barriers in front of you has power. Yeah? So he creates rituals, he creates ceremonies, he creates all kinds of pomp so that you can't get to the God. And he's not, he doesn't even know God. But he wants you to come, he wants you to need him. So Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Now my job is to present the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. So I've got to get away. I've got to get all of me out of the way so that I can present him. So his word is the most powerful thing. It sustains everything. The Bible says the whole world is literally held by his word. The moment he pulls his word back, it's gone. Wow. The moment he pulls his word back, it's gone. 
The moment, the moment he pulls his word out of this church, we're finished. All we'll have is meetings. He won't be here. So it's, so it's so important. Now, some of you remember a couple of weeks ago, I went and did a men's weekend. Not with guys from this church, but another church. Now, when you go into, into a traditional church, you are fighting traditional mindsets. Okay? Not like you lot. I know you lot are not traditional. <clears throat> I don't know. You haven't got a mind. I mean, you have got a mindset. So I know I'm walking into an environment that's quite potentially choppy. So the first couple of sessions, it was choppy. I got the reception I thought I was going to get. But what I didn't know was somebody was recording what I was saying on their phone. And they didn't like what I was saying. And they didn't like what I said. So they took it to the pastor. The pastor wasn't there that weekend because it was his mother's birthday and he had to fly to where she was. So he left me, which was quite brave of him, with his men and one of the elders. And I was the last choice, remember? I was the last choice. They couldn't get anybody, so I was the last choice. So they asked me. I didn't sign up for the deal. So anyway, this guy's quite perturbed that what I've said, I've talked about an open heaven. So all I've done, talk about how, first of all, heaven is pure. And how we can walk under a pure open heaven. What is there to be offended about that? So anyway, this guy gets offended and he goes to the pastor and I hadn't heard from the church for two, two and a half, three weeks. So I rings up and they said, well, there's been a complaint about you. I thought it won't be the first time, it won't be the last time. And they said, you know, uh, this guy's accused you of being heretical and erroneous. I thought, well, they're big words, aren't they? Heretical and erroneous. And uh, so I thought, oh, that's interesting. I'll listen. And I listened. And he says, uh, he want, I would, w- would appreciate if you would have a, a sit down with this guy and talk with him. I thought, well, I don't need a conversation with him. That's why you're his pastor. You're his covering. You need to talk with him. But what I didn't realize, well, I did realize that they'd lost about 15 people because there was, a, there was an argument in the church over doctrine. And if I said to you, Calvinist and Arminius, you'd look at me and say, what are them? Where do they come from? Okay. But this is... What gets in the church and messes people up? They got to the point where they wouldn't even have communion with each other if they thought you was an Arminius. The Calvinist refused. Sorry, no, the Calvinist refused to have uh, uh, break bread with the Arminius, and the Arminius would would. This is going on in the church. So imagine if we said, right, we're going to have communion this morning. David's an Arminius. It's a particular viewpoint. Carol's a Calvinist. David looks at Carol and says. You're not of my cloth, so I'm not having communion. Now, these are supposed to be Christians, right? In the same church. So they wanted the pastor to excommunicate everybody who wasn't of an Armenian's view. So he says, you're nutters. You're nutters, the lot of you. So 15 people walked, walked out the church, left, and guess where they set up? Just down the road here, right? They're coming to a neighborhood near you. So, and there's a good chance any one of them could walk in the church. And when they listen to what we preach, they'll be back out again. <clears throat> Which is okay. Return to sender. <laughs> I wrote a letter in the... Ah, oh, we'll go into the song. But the thing is, secretly, 
you know, recording. If they'd have recorded it and I'd have known, no problem. I wouldn't have said anything different anyway. Why? Because I know what I believe. And I know the one I believe. So I have nothing to hide. The same thing that I'm, I spoke to them is I've been speaking to you. It's brought you blessing. So, and it brought them blessing. And the pastor said to me, he said, I listened to the, the, uh, the, uh, the accusation of the brother. He calls him brother, right? And he says, I listened. And this is what the pastor said. He said, I was moved by what you said. I said, and I would have broke down in tears if I'd have been there. He says, I spoke to my young guys. He said, they were all blessed by what you said. So I thought, at least someone's on my side. I thought, it's good that the pastor's on my side. Now, because he'd lost so many people, the pastor was being a little bit political, sitting on the fence, because he doesn't want to go and tackle it because he's just lost 15 people because of a previous discussion. Or dispute, I should say. Which, when you have schisms, schisms, I don't know how you pronounce it, schism, schisms, which is division in the church, they can be over petty things. Petty things. And it's amazing that when people want to leave, they'll create a philosophy or they'll find holes in what you're saying, which are not real holes, they just need a reason to walk out. If you wanted to leave, just go. The same door that let you in will let you out. The same people that wave you in will wave you out. Why? Because in a church, there's always potential reason for you to be unhappy. Of course there is. There's always a reason. He said this, he didn't say that, he didn't acknowledge me this morning, he didn't smile at me this morning. Get over it. I didn't smile at Carol this morning. She's not left me. You're not thinking, are you, darling? <laughs> I can't be smiling at everyone. And the same things that people will accuse you of, is not, they're not doing themselves. You never called me this week. Did you call me? No, right. So what are you moaning about? Take the plank out your own eye. Ah, but you didn't. No, but you didn't. Ah, but you didn't. Where'd you go with that silliness? Yeah? So it's amazing when people leave the church... How quickly they become Bible scholars overnight. It really is. It's amazing. These people who never, ever shared a word, never got up, never prayed, never prophesied. All of a sudden, they've just got this quick download app that gives them access to all the theology in the world. And you think, where did you get that from? It's amazing. And they think we're idiots. And they're probably right. <laughs> you see, when people end up picking arguments, very often it's their opinions. It's not truth. It's opinion-based. Do you know what the court of law calls that? Conjecture. Do you know what conjecture is? It's the formation of incomplete evidence. That's conjecture. At best, it's a guess or an assumption. But because if I can shout loud or I can use a few fancy words, then you think that it's like being in a company. If you can use the buzzwords, everybody thinks that you know what you're on about. True? And every company's got buzzwords. Yeah? And every church has got language. Every relationship has a language. Every partner has a, has a pet name for their partner. And we'll leave it there. <laughs> that if you call that name to your partner... 
some people instantly would all look at you thinking, what the heck's he calling her? And other times, it would just go right past him. It's code. Other times, it's not code. It's revealed. Yeah? Now, I can't say what mine is for Carol, but that's personal, you know. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 says this, if I am delayed, you know, if he says if, the man who wrote it was delayed, so he knows if I'm delayed, you will, you will know how people ought to conduct. In other words, behave themselves in God's house, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So there is a specific type of behavior that should be expected from the believers in the church. Yes, there is, there is a specific type, excuse me, of behavior that should be evidenced in the lives of people. And yet, having said that, it's amazing how many people's belief is based upon either interpretation or their opinions. So their opinions then will determine their behavior. When really, our behavior, if you're a true believer... Your really behavior should be dependent upon your belief, upon the interpretation of that belief, upon the revelation, and upon your, your own moral conscience in God. My conscience, my love for one another should determine my behavior. True? If I have a genuine, sincere heart for the church, then my behavior will be fitting that kind of heart. But if I see myself as an individual and I'm not connected to the body of church, I'll always hit it and hurt it. It doesn't matter because my opinion supersedes any feelings I may have. If you put your hand out there and smack it with an hammer, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to cry out for Jesus, aren't you? And you're going to feel pain. Now, why are you going to feel pain? Because that hand is connected to you. Every part of that and those nerve system is in connected, interrelated and connected with you. But only in the church do we get another person smacking holes out of a church or other brothers and sisters and not feel anything for them. That can't be right. That can't be right. So that's why Paul writes, if I'm delayed, in other words, if dad's out the house, how do the kids react? And now, you know anyone who's got children, you kind of... You dread that moment the first time you leave the kids on their own. Don't you? Because you're not sure what they're going to do. You're not sure if you'll even have a house when you get back. Now, everyone's got a mischievous child. Mine was called Ben. I was a mischievous child. I remember the time in my house when we used to have a cold fire. <laughs> remember this, Shell? And out for one day, I had this fascination with shoving the poker in the fire and look, seeing that the iron go red hot. But then I decided, let's see what it does to the carpet. And I went round the house, just... Psh, psh, psh. I did. And the carpet was full of holes. So I thought, well, if I shove the chair over it, they'll never find it. Not thinking they'll come to vacuum up one day and find it. So when that day came, 
My dad went mad, as you can imagine. I don't really know why he went mad, but he went mad. And he said, who's done this looking at me? So I blame Shirley, as you, would, you normally do, because she's the mischievous one. Dad, I was the innocent one, honest. And, yeah, she made me do it. It was the woman, you, it's the woman you had before me, Dad. So I got a smack. I still didn't realize what was wrong with you. It was just, I was just playing. That kind of gave the confidence to my mum and dad that I really can't be left on my own. And it's the same in the church. You take certain people out of the church and people think it's an excuse to go crazy. Yeah, they do. Well, dad's not in the house. We can do what we want, say what we want. No, you can't. Why? Because there is an expected level of behavior in the church, just as there is in a house. And you have to, it's an opportunity when parents are not in the house, it's an opportunity for kids to show their maturity or their lack of it. Yes? But we know that the Bible says that if the shepherd's not in the house, the sheep will go wild. Just like in a natural family, if you take mum and dad out of the house, the kids will do what they want. And they'll justify it. Will they not? They'll justify it. Well, I needed it. What does it mean say you can do it? Who's been in the biscuit jar? Well, I was hungry. Well, I'll be back. I only told you I was going out for an hour. Yeah, but we're almost dying. <laughs> and I thought, I looked at my sister, Shirley, and she looked like she was wasting away. So I thought, Shirley, for your sake only, I will, get, I will sin and go into the cookie jar. <laughs> it wasn't for my benefit, Shirley. It was for yours. <laughs> so Paul gives a charge to Timothy of how he should behave and how he should conduct himself in the affairs of God and in the affairs of house. So if you go to 2 Timothy 3.16, you read very clearly that all scripture, all scripture, not part of it. Very often, some people like to, t- uh, to separate the Old Testament from the New Testament. And they say, ah, what you're talking about now is the Old Testament, as if the Old Testament doesn't matter. I remember as a young Christian, you're thinking, why do we don't need the Old Testament no more? Let's just bin it. <laughs> that shows how ignorant it was. And, well, it's all full of these, those, and these. No, that's called the King James. It's full of these, these, and those. But you know, in 2 Timothy, Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, the church is a place where you can teach. It's a place where you can rebuke. It's a place where you can correct. It's a place where you can train, just like any other house. Yes? Now, you need an environment to do that. So you must create an environment so that everybody knows the behavior. When everybody knows the behavior expected, everyone's aware of the consequences when that behavior standard is not met. Is that fair to say? So we need to set the behavior in the church so that when people come in from outside, they see a level of orderedness, not religion. We can be free, but we can be in order. True? We can be. We can't all be doing our own thing, but we can be doing his thing. So that when we leave, he's, he's happy. The presence has been here. We've met with him and the, and the saints go home full of joy. So he says, these, these core things, useful for teaching, training, rebuking, correcting in righteousness. So that the man of God, that's you and me, 
or the men of God, the people of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, so there's the key right there. Everything we do is in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. It says this, you will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. Then he says this, I give you this charge, Timothy. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience. And there's nothing like people to test your patience. Yeah? I give you this charge, preach the word with great patience and careful instruction. What type of instruction? Careful. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. So there's another behavior trying to enter into the church. Okay? They'll put up, they will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will, listen, they will gather around them a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Wow. They will turn their ears away from the truth, not from church, from the truth, and turn aside to myths. So you go from truth now to myths. This is the decline when you bring disordered behavior into a church. But you, there's the charge, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship do the work of an evangelist and discharge the duties of your ministry. So when we read that scripture, we break it down into four areas, really. Number one is we see the purpose and use of scripture. I'll come to it in a minute. Then we see the charge given to Timothy. Number three, an explanation of the times and seasons and the behaviors that you can expect in the coming days. And then the last one is the attitude and focus of the responsibility for preaching and teaching. So let me go through that very quickly with you. Number one, the purpose and use of scripture. We read there, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the men of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means that's the purpose of why God gives us that. It's the purpose now, we need training. See, we're, 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 most churches are happy with training. Most churches are happy with teaching. But most churches are not happy with correcting and rebuking. Everybody wants to correct and rebuke everybody else, but nobody in themselves wants to be correct, taught, or rebuked. True? Now, the way we used to do it years ago was not necessarily the best way neither. Stand them up at the front and shoot them. That wasn't the best way. But we need in the church that if we're going to become a well-ordered house, we need to be taught, we need to be trained, we need to be corrected, and we need to be rebuked at the right time in the right way. This is what makes us genuine believers. That the fact that we can be taught, we can be corrected, we can be rebuked if we need to. Yeah? But most of the church you can't do that with. So they call themselves believers, really not, they're attenders. And the moment you try to teach, correct, train, or rebuke, they do a runner. So the law of the, the sift will come in. God will sift his own church. And those who are found genuine 
will obviously take it. Those who won't, they'll just run off to another place and set up down the road. Number two, the charge given to Timothy was to preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. This is the charge. So God's charge to me is to preach the word to you. Be prepared in season and out of season. So in other words, just be prepared. Yes? And then he says, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience. See, most guys want to correct and rebuke, but they don't want to do it in patience. Now, patience now reveals what's going on in me. For me to be patient with you shows much, just as much about me than it does about you. This is why purity must enter my heart so that I deal with people with patience and in sincerity rather than just getting brassed off and treat you the way everybody else does. Yeah? Now, what I would like and what the Bible would like was for you to treat me and others like me in the same vein, but that doesn't always happen. But we're meant to have this halo around our head that we've got unlimited patience, unlimited sincerity, and we cannot allow a flick knife, a gun, or a spade to bang people over the head when they're being stupid. No, we just got to do it in patience and sincerity. And God says, Tony, that's what I've told you to do, so you do it. But Lord, let me just hit him. No. <laughs> Five-fold ministry, yeah. Right foot of fellowship, boom. No, no. The discipline and the attitude of me is very, very important because it's what springs order. In the house today, when I say house, I mean the, the natural house. Parents losing their rag with their children is what's causing dysfunctional families. If parents had more sincerity and parents had more patience, then the outcome of most families within society might be different. So if you can get the fruit in the parents, the chances are it'll go into the kids. You know volume does not control your kids. Because you run out of voice, but they've still got their ears. Yeah? After a while, it just becomes what they call, is it white noise they call it? It just becomes white noise. You screaming, it's like, look at her, look at her, look how stupid she is. And you're screaming thinking that your volume's going to get your kid to do what you want, but it doesn't. Why? Because all the kids ever heard you do is scream. You don't know any other way. So patience and sincerity have a way of changing the person. Yeah? Patience. Lord, give me patience and give it me today. Doesn't work that way. Number three, an explanation of the times and seasons that we're going to enter into. When I say we, I mean the church global is going to enter into. Let's look at them. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. I believe we're already in that day. They will not put up with sound doctrine. Now, here's the issue. Sound doctrine. Didn't say they won't put up with doctrine. He said they will not put up with sound doctrine. That's the, that's the element there, the truth. And what does he say here? Instead, to suit their own desires, that's the impurity, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Wow. And they'll pay him to do it. They will turn their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Myths is what happened in the Dark Ages. That's how we lost the truth in the, in the dark ages and now it's been restored in this present age. 
The Bible, because there were so many uneducated people around, the Bible got taught in stories. Stories got watered down and became myths. And the one who had a little bit more education than the other made you pay for it. Wow. Welcome to Catholicism. That's how it started. And then they called it religious indulgences. So you have to pay for certain levels. Yeah, they knew how to do that, all right. The true frightening reality in the church today is because people want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. You know, most people, and here's a sad indictment, most people are not interested whether your doctrine is right or wrong as long as it makes them feel good. They're not bothered. Oh, yeah, if you say Jesus Christ didn't, um, what didn't come, that's obviously they'll fight you on that one. If you say Jesus Christ didn't rise again, they'll fight you on that one. They may even fight you to say there's healing in the atonement. In other words, the blood of Jesus, there's healing. Those three things, they might walk out for that. But the rest is open. The rest is open. There isn't a love for truth and there isn't a love for sincerity. People can say what they want anywhere in the world and get away with it. They really can. It really, really can. And so that word erroneous and heretical, it's sometimes it's a, it's a th- phrase that people just throw out there because it sounds spiritual. But they really don't know what they mean by that because they, they wouldn't have a clue what is sound and what is pure. They don't even, why? Because their faith is based on opinions. And the last one of the, of the breakdown of, two, of Timothy is this. The focus and attitude needed for those given the responsibility for preaching the word. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge the duties of your ministry. So we, me as a leader, has to keep my head in all situations. Everybody else can go crazy. But somebody has to keep their head. Why? Because when any family goes dysfunctional, the kids always look to mum and dad. Why? Because mum and dad are the picture of stability, or should be. True? Do not parents bring stability into the home? They should do. So the whole house is determined upon its leader. Because he's the one who has the... the, See that little thing in my mouth? It's called a tongue. And the tongue is called the rudder. And the rudder steers the ship. But also, the book of James, chapter 3, says it's like a fire. And it can burn us. And it can set our course on a course on a path called destruction if I'm not sincere, pure, or genuine. So when people will come in and they like what you hear, but they don't know why they like it, they just like what they hear. If I'm not pure, I can lead them down the wrong path. And I don't want to do that. I want to genuinely, wisely influence people for the betterment of their life. I have no other motive alternative to steer you down the wrong path I didn't get up this morning just so I could lead you all down the wrong path I got up this morning because the joy of ministering to you and to give you some quality and give you some joy and some um, truth is what inspires me it does that's what flicks my switch and for me this is me discharging the duties of my ministry amen I discharge them. In other words, I willingly give them away and say, Lord, everything you gave me to give to them, I've given them. 
So just like Jesus said to his own disciples and to his own father, Father, the glory that you gave me, I have given it to them. I've shared it with them. All I was, Lord, was an open conduit to release your heart and express your heart to this group of people here. But you know, for some people, that's still not enough. Still not enough. So in 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed and who, is, who correctly handles the word of truth. How many of you know close is not the same as accurate? Close is nowhere near as good as accurate. Accurate is what we should be. Now it says, do your best to present yourself. As to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So many times we do not handle this word. Why? Because it's so, we're tainted by our experiences. We're tainted by our prejudice. You know, in certain parts of the world, if you go to America right now, there'll be white preachers who generally believe that white, white supremacist is right. Now, you and I know, no, that's not true. But what's caused that? They're prejudiced, hurt, whatever it is. They'll, you know, when the nation, when America goes into a political voting, the whole, look at the behavior of the church. It's really highlighted for what it really is in many ways. Nobody knows what God, what the nation needs. They all vote for their own self-interest. So you've got a lot of people praying for selfish interests rather than what the nation needs. And do you think we're any different? Well, this party will give me this. That party will give me that. I'll be 100 quid better off in my pocket if I vote for them. It's wrong as a Christian. We, we are a church. We're meant to be the example. We pray what God needs in the nation. We need righteousness. We need righteous leaders who will not pocket for themselves and benefit for themselves. We need leaders who have your interest at heart. That's the only type of leader we need. There's only two types of leaders. The, ones in it, the one that's in it for himself and the one that's in it for the people and the betterment of the nation. So we want a leader that's going to bring us God's requirements. We don't want leaders who's going to be kicking out the church and everything the church says. That's not where we're coming from. But he'll give me £100 a week if I vote for him. Yeah, and you'll also kill your kid's destiny. We must understand what God's picture is for our nation. And vote according. Never mind what the conservatives, the Labour or the Lib Dems say. Find out what God says. And vote according to what God says. Look at the, look, be diligent in it. Look at who's offering the closest to what God demands. And then pray for the leaders. Yeah? Do your best. So he says, this, this scripture of 2 Timothy is this. This should be the attitude and discipline of every believer in this room. You should do your best. First of all, do your best. Anything that's not your best is not your best. Could you have done better? Well, no, I, I believe I did my best. Good. That's all we can ask. What do, you say to, what do you say to your children when they go to school? Do your best. You come back, did you do your best? I did my best. You can't ask any more than your best. True? Then he says, present yourself well before God. Church, the challenge to you this morning is do your, do your best to present yourself 
well before God. If you present yourself, and do your best to present yourself well before God, and if we're all doing that, guess what? We're going to have a well-presented church. Yeah? See, most people in our nation just think that church is a building we need for gathering together. They've not yet worked out that the church is the people. We are the expression, the empowerment, the embodiment of Christ on this earth. Christ doesn't use anybody else's arms and legs and mouth. He uses yours. He uses his own church. So whatever you are, if the only time the church recognizes the church is on the earth, actually, if the only time the earth recognizes the church is on the earth, he's on a Sunday, we're in trouble. Because nobody knows we're meeting today, only us. People are driving past this building, don't even know what the Dream Center is. But that's okay. Sunday's about him and us today. But the, re- the other six days is about him, you living it outside there. Yes? But we've made Sunday the golden calf. Then we'll go home, and then we'll go and have lunch somewhere, and then our dinner will be turned, we'll, we'll wait for our food, and it's 30 minutes late, and then we'll chew the restaurant owner's head off because our dinner's late for 30, 30 minutes. But you've just been in church raising your hands and the first glimpse the world got of the church was you barking down their necks. My dinner's wrong. Now she's going to spit in it and you're going to have to eat it. Now if you'd have been patient like me and considerate like me, you'd have said, excuse me darling, this food is a little bit cold or I ordered this. And she'll say, no problem, I'll come back and do it. Right? Hopefully. But there is a way of assertiveness, of showing assertiveness without them losing. There's a way of getting win-win. But if you're standing up there and barking your rights, we know your rights. They probably know you've got rights. But now it becomes a battle of personality. You've lost. You've lost, already lost. So you'll get what you want, but they'll look at you and say, jerk. Dipstick, don't ever come back in here. We never see you again. What was gained out of that? You waited 30 minutes for your food. But we sure looked good when we walked out and then we went back to church and we had a prayer meeting again. Hypocrite. You wasn't the church. Present yourself well before God. Then he says, be one that is approved by God. So do your best. Do do your best to present yourself well before God and be one that is approved So God approves your behavior. God approves. Approves who you are. God approves how you're living. We need heaven's approval on our lives. We don't just need man's. We need man's. That's good. It's good that we have man's. It's good if we have heaven's. But we need God. I need God smiling over me. Amen. And then he says, be a workman. Now, the only kind of work we realize is when we go to work and get paid for it. But that's not the work he's talking about. He's talking about doing the work of the gospel. Then he says, be a workman who does not need to be ashamed. In other words, when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, that's good enough. That will get God's approval. When you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Then he says, the last one is, be a believer who correctly handles the word of pure truth. So when your opportunity comes, you share what you share. You talk about what you can talk about. You talk about what the other person's given you license to talk about in a way that you're able to communicate. It doesn't mean to say in work that you can 
stand, uh, go to the toilet, read your Bible for 20 minutes and expect your boss to understand. He's paying you to work, not to read your Bible. Yeah? Well, I'm a Christian in this place. I need to pray. No, no, no. Get up in the morning. Do your praying before you go to work. Show him that you can be a workman. Yeah? Getting up 30 minutes before you go to work earlier than you normally do to pray shows him that you're also a different kind of workman. 30 minutes? Flipping heck. Okay. It should be the heart. This should be the heart, mind, and attitude of every speaker. So we've looked at the heart of every believer. What about the heart of the believer, uh, the, the speaker? Colossians 1.25 says, I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in all its fullness. I have become its servant by the commission of God gave me to present to you the word of God in all its fullness. In all its fullness. In other words, I try to give you the pure truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. My heart is no different than the oath that you put in court. Why? Because I want to present to you the word of God in its fullness. I don't always achieve that, but that's not for the want of trying. The attitude of every believer's heart and mind is in Acts 17, 11. There's a group of people here called the Bereans. The Breens were a people of noble character, it says. Noble character. It's Acts 17, 11, it says, Now the Breens were of a noble character than the Thess Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So here we see that they were a, a church that whenever the word was spoken to them, it revealed the desire in their hearts. You see, this is the issue with most churches today. They'll come, they're set up to hear, but they're not set up to listen. They're not set up to go and do. They're not set up to challenge, to try it in their own hearts. They're not set up to go back and study to make sure they're not being misled. So we hear what our itching ears want to hear. So we gather around churches that tell us the things that we want to hear and the things that make us feel good. And the moment a guy gets a little bit stronger, a little bit forthright, and they say, whoa, he has, no, there's no, how many times you hear people say, there's no place in the church today for being told what to do. I'm sorry, yes, there is. This is exactly God's church, it's not my church. No, I'm going to present the word to you. I've got to present what he says. We've already discovered 2 Timothy 3.16, the word of God is useful for teaching, training, correcting, rebuking in righteousness so that the man, the man of God may be thoroughly equipped in all his work. If you don't have those standards, you can't get the output. You'll never get the fruit. You'll never get the people equipped. You'll never get the work if you don't have those training, teaching, rebuking and correcting. You can't have it. But you see, we've got a society that says you can't even correct your children. You can't smack your children. You can't discipline them. I'm sorry, but that's rubbish. It didn't say abuse your children or beat the hell out of them. But we can bring the rod of correction. It never hurt anyone. 
Abuse is not the reason for disuse. We should teach correct use. How to train your children. How to discipline your children. And slowly but surely our society is in deep, deep decline because of the idiosyncrasies in some people's thinking. That they think we can just get rid of discipline and our society will automatically correct itself. I'm sorry, it won't. And it hasn't. So that now philosophy comes into the church. So you can't tell us what to do. I've had a hard week. I can't be hearing anything that's going to make me feel uncomfortable. Well, then guess what? Go and find a church that will make you feel comfortable. They want you now to dilute your strength because of their weakness. You can't do that. That's the first thing the church gets challenged is to change its message. That is the spirit of the age. Change your message to suit society. Sorry, the bar has already been set. The church is meant to be at that level so that the water level rises. But the moment, listen, the, the fruit is this. The moment you change the message and bring it down to the, to the needs, the desires and the wants of the people, the people do not grow. They have never grown at that level. Your school does not work on that principle. Think of it. A high school, a primary school does not work on that level of changing its curriculum and bringing it down. It brings the kids up to a level that the curriculum has been set at. True? So that you put, the, they put the, the wisdom into the kid, you bring the teaching into the kid. Now, the fact that kids are not learning might be a different dynamic altogether. It might be, the classes might be too big. Teachers might need some passion to teach for, for goodness sake. You know, yeah, they need educating in the right areas. Teaching a syllabus is not, you know, we can all remember the bad teachers. But guess what? There's not exactly that many bursting in my head what really made an impact in my life. We all remember the bad ones. The good ones are very far and few between. True? And I remember the only good teacher I remember was the one that let me do what I wanted. And he was called Mr. Delockery. And he said, I don't care if you don't listen, just don't disturb the guy at the next side. And that was music to my ears. I could read whatever I wanted in his class and he was not going to bother me. I thought, you are a great teacher. (laughs) And you know what? He was passionate. But he realized that my passion, if my passion doesn't affect you, then it's okay. There's other people in the class who do want my passion. And I just thought, great, it worked for me. I was a loser in the long run. I didn't realize at the time what was going out of the window was far better than what was going inside the classroom. I don't know. I was a hard student. So the Bereans were of noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness. Now notice there's two types of Christians. There's the Bereans and the Thessalonians. For they received the message with great eagerness. So what he's saying is maybe the others didn't. And examine the scriptures every day to see if what I, Paul said was true. Now, be honest with yourself. How many is going to go home today and examine what I've said, whether it's true? But we trust you, pastor. Thank you very much. That's not what I asked. How many people are going to go home and check what I've said today is true? Well, do you want the honest answer? Probably none of you. 
because you're going to go home, you're going to relax today, you're going to tell yourself at a hard work, at hard week's work, and that's probably true, and you're going to go home and you think, I did church, I went to church, I turned up, God saw me, I was there. He took the register this morning, he's got my name, I was there, Lord. God says, yeah, you were there, but you weren't all there. How am I going to go home and check? That will determine the level of the Berean heart and spirit within you. Most people will sit there, like you're looking at me and going, he'll be over in a minute. We can go and drink coffee and, and eat paninis. If that's the highlight of your day, Lord help you. The food here was better than the one next door, and that's no disrespect to what you're going to get later. But the issue is this, is how many of us? Here's a litmus test. Two weeks ago, I asked for testimonies. And you know I've only had three in. Three. Oh, yeah, I know this time. I'm just letting you know that the time is ticking down. But the eager ones got there first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about the email that says I'm onto it? <laughs> so the issue is this. People will sit and listen. And they'll put up with a lot of stuff they shouldn't put up with. It says this in 1 Timothy, we're coming to the end. If 1 Timothy 6, 3 says this, I'm going to skip a lot. If anyone teaches false doctrine, now whenever the word false doctrines, it says, whenever we hear the word false doctrines, it's normally relating to evil spirits. Doctrines, plural. There is one doctrine, the Bible says, one doctrine. One doctrine with many teachings. But there's only one doctrine. But it says they're teaching doctrines. So you need to understand that. We have one doctrine with it's our creed. There's one God. That's called the Apostolic Creed, which was created at the Nicaea. When the word of God, um, so if anyone teaches false doctrines, whenever the word doctrine is used, like I said, it's relating to spiritual powers, demons, and does not agree to sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicion and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who had been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now, the guy who secretly recorded, he's picked out one word, open heaven. Now, what is the nature of what he's... Now, if he was genuinely trying to understand what I was saying, he had his opportunity that weekend. When there was a lot of times when I was sat around, just having, having uh, coffee and, and, and meals, he had a plenty of opportunity to come and just say, Pastor, can you just clear that up for me? What is it you actually mean by that? He had a more of... But no secretly phoning it, running to the pastor then, expecting the pastor then to jump on his bandwagon. Why? Now the nature of his heart was revealed. I'm going to pull my membership. So he's actually put a nail in his own coffin. Why? Because they'll start, they want to try and start something. Strife, malicious talk. Now he's already got a group of people around him. And then he says this in 2 Peter 2. He says, many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of the truth into disrepute. In their greed, 
These teachers will exploit, listen to this, listen to this, this is serious. 2 Peter 2, verse 2. 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, that's their heart, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Can you imagine? People will create stories to get you to think like them. Lies. The whole idea of the speaker in the house is he speaks the truth. Not lies. And then, one more scripture. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 16. Avoid godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. We all know what gangrene does. Among them, then he names the two dudes who have been doing it. Can you imagine? Your names are written now in the Bible forever and ever and ever. Amen. We all know who these two dudes are. Hermenius and Philetus. Who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place. Your faith and my faith all rest on the resurrection. Do you realize that? It's, it's, listen, it's okay saying Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's not good enough. A lot of people died. A lot of people have given the life. Bravely. Every war has got heroes. A lot of people gave their life for something they believed in. For a, for a, a future that you and I can enjoy. Jesus Christ was a number of people who got crucified. He wasn't the only one. The Bible tells us that. Thief on the cross, he also got crucified. Crucifixion was a regular thing. But our faith hangs on the resurrection. Because the resurrection shows that he overcome death. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. Without the resurrection, there is no forgiveness. Without resurrection, they did not overcome death or eternal powers. The resurrection, without the resurrection, he would not be sat in the right hand with his father. The resurrection, everything whole stands on the resurrection. Now the false teaching was that he didn't rise again. Yes. Sorry, 2 Peter 2, verse 2. So 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 16. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge it will become more and more ungodly. Then he says, they say that the, um, Hermenius and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth, they say that the resurrection has already taken place. And listen, and they destroy the faith of some. Because if the resurrection didn't happen, has already taken, you know, hasn't taken place, then what, what future have I got? There is no faith. There is no hope. This is, so when you actually get men, the Bishop of Durham, who many years ago didn't believe in the virgin birth, didn't believe in the resurrection, then you wonder, then you wonder why his church was hit by bolts of lightning. But can you imagine, men like that have the power to influence masses. So if you're already, an, can you imagine if young Katie came in? Katie, the, the lady from the patisserie. 
came in and she's listening to him speaking. There's no resurrection. That's her future gone. She came in looking for hope and walked out disappointed. The resurrection, oof. And I still believe he's the same yesterday, today, forever. I believe in the blood. It speaks to me. Why the blood? Why does the blood speak? Because he resurrected. Of his resurrection. It's power. It's living. It's alive. It's speaking. It can forgive. If he hadn't rose from the, from the grave and, and, and rose again, his blood wouldn't be speaking. It'd be dead. Amen? But then he says this. Nevertheless, verse 19, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord Jesus must turn away from wickedness. And then he says, then he examines the house straight away. And in a large house, there are articles of not only gold and silver, but right now, what he's saying is in this church, there's articles of gold and silver, wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes. Others are for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purpose, made holy, pure, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Then he says, flee the desires of youth and pursue righteousness faith, peace, and along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So it brings it back to purity. All those actions are the result of a heart. And John says this about the church. He says, dear children, 1 John three eighteen, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions. And in truth, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts do not condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God to receive and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. You know, John is a wonderful book. Listen to what it says about the love. He says, it gives me great pleasure to see my children walking in love. Why? Because when you walk in love, it's a reflection of the heart. Purity will always go for what's right. It will always seek out that which is clean, that which is pure. You see, if I've ever got an impure mind, I'll seek out impure things. But I want doctrine, I want teaching, I want correcting, I want training in righteousness. That's my heart to, to be established in truth. So if that's my heart, I will pursue that for myself. And as I pursue that for myself, that's what I'll give to you. That which I'm pursuing. But if my heart is full of greed, full of envy, full of strife, then my speaking will be tainted by what my heart, or what's in my heart, and what my heart is touching and thinking and feeling. That's why the tongue has to be so, so clean. Because if I'm touching things that shouldn't be touching, I have the potential to then steer you down the wrong path. And God will judge me severely. I fear God. I fear God. 
Why? Because the veil has been taken off, off me. So I, I have this relationship with God like many of you do. That God has shown me that the first step of wisdom is to know there's a genuine, sincere fear. I don't fear God because, because he's evil. No, I have a righteous fear for authority. I have a righteous fear for, because I know purity is what he's after. And it's the standard. So I have a righteous fear that I cannot do what I want. Nor should I expect to do what I want and get away with it. God is watching me. His word will expose us. And it'll expose you what's not in your heart just as much as what's in your heart. So doctrine is a very, very key thing. The church will rise and fall based on its teaching. Many will not be able to handle in the days ahead the standards that God puts in his church because the world, most of our people, you all work in factories that have a different spirit. We all live in what we call the spirit of the age. And the spirit of the age works so that it whittles away down all the morals, all the values. So people are free to judge for themselves what's right and what's wrong. And people will never judge themselves. So when it comes into the church, there's this neutral plane. And you can never raise the standard. Why? Because now we have a thing called the social norm. We all, and the social norm is when we all think the same and we all behave the same. The church cannot condition itself to the spirit of the age. This is God's house. This is a, this is a message the church must wake up to see. We must guard our hearts. We must guard and, and flee from immorality and we must cling to the light. God, give us teaching that's going to bring us into the light all the time. So when we talk about transparency and accountability and openness, I tell you, what ahead. What ahead. Why? Because most churches won't do this. So, so we're okay. We're not bothered what others are not doing. We're concentrating on what God's telling us to do. Amen? So if you sit in this church and you feel uncomfortable, I would rather you feel uncomfortable than uncomfortable than feel comfortable. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, the last thing I would ever want you to feel is comfortable. I want you to feel convicted. But it's amazing how many churches want to make you feel comfortable. Now, you don't want to stand by that, don't you? Talking about the word will make you feel uncomfortable. I'm not talking about not someone ignoring you, slapping you on the face. I'm not talking about that kind of uncom uncomfortable. We're talking about the word. Just be a conduit. When people ask you certain things, do not hold back. Tell them with sincerity, with patience. Amen? Let's stand to our feet, if we will. I know we have a future. And do you know why we have a future? Because we guard the truth. Some of you didn't hear that. We have a future because we, we guard the truth. Someone's got to stand up for it. Someone's got to believe in it. Someone's got to follow it. It's not enough to believe it. Follow it. Action it. Our truth must have an ap application to it. An actionable application. We don't live by opinions. We live by the truth. Amen. So if you will, just raise your hands with me as we seal this word. Father, this morning, oh God, let that Berean spirit rise up. Let every heart, every soul go back and study out for themselves that which is being said. 
let them show themselves diligent believers. Let them, Father, I pray that this body will show themselves as approved workmen before God and before heaven. I pray, oh God, that they'll do the best. I pray you'll empower them, train them, teach them. Teach wisdom in the innermost parts. Teach truth and understanding in the innermost parts, oh God. So that each believer can rise and give you their best. And show you, oh God, that they're sincere and authentic. Father, I ask you, oh God, Lord, to set a guard over this house. So this house will always be a place where truth and purity can, be, can launch from. I pray, oh God, as we begin to raise the next generation, that will establish the next generation in present truth. We'll teach them the ways of purity. We'll teach a generation how they can keep clean and abstain from all the things that would mess a life up. Lord, give us the base. Give us the model that we can show the nations, oh God, that it's possible to raise a generation in the midst of corruption. It's possible to raise a people. Father, we need your word. We need the spirit of God to show us how, when, where, who. Father, show us, oh God, show us by the Spirit of God. Show us how to build a multicultural, multi-generational house, oh God, with standards that build the truth into every heart and life. Lord, I pray, oh God, that you'll knock it out of us, that this, this condition to be hearers only. I pray, oh God, that we'll never become people who gather around teachers who will teach what our itching ears want. But, oh God, that our hearts will be always circumcised before you to follow the truth. Give us a discerning heart to know that what we're listening is not right or accurate or true. Give us a discerning heart. I pray, Lord, even as we open the word this week in our own personal times, Lord, that the spirit of truth will guide us and give us a clear understanding of what is needed in this time. Show us, oh God, open our eyes to the spirit of the age and how it works. Show us, Lord, how subtle it is, how deceptive it can be. Show us, oh God, how we're willing, so easy to settle for what's already out there. And then expect it to then take place inside the church. Lord, show us your perspective. Rather than always keep believing what the world says. Raise the standard in every heart. Raise the standard. Raise the banner. Oh, Father, I ask, oh God, I pray for your people, oh God, in the name of Jesus, through the name of Jesus. Lord, I still believe. I still believe. You're the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You're the highest power that darkness cannot hide. Oh, Father, I still believe in all that you're saying. Lord, this truth, is, if, if the truth is worth rising from the grave, it's also worth taking to the grave. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, Help us to rightly divide this truth. Help us to handle the truth wisely. In Jesus' name, amen. That's my prayer for you.